0: Welcome, First Friends Church family. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is by diving into the Word of God together during our Sunday gatherings. So if you don't have a church family, we would love to have you join us. All there is to know as you plan your visit can be found at firstfriends.org. Now let's go to our lead pastor, Nathaniel, with this week's message.
1: Good morning once again. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Nathaniel, and I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor here at First Friends Church. And almost exactly two and a half years ago, Ed Walsh, the executive director of our denomination, the Evangelical Friends Church Eastern Region, introduced me to you as your new pastor on this stage. And this morning, I get the privilege of introducing ed back to you as the executive director of the efcer this morning last october ed and i had met just to have coffee and to talk and i already had a good idea where we were going at the beginning of this year in january with this focus on witness specifically the title witnesses who witness and through our conversation, I had expressed to Ed the desire that I had that he would be able to come and preach and share something that God had laid on his heart with us. And so we had kind of talked about the end of January being a time that would work for him. And then I asked, Ed, is there something specific that God has put on your heart to share with us? And there wasn't even any hesitation. He said, yes, my journey on personal evangelism. And I said, well, it just so happens that the first three weeks of January, we're going to be talking about witness, and the fourth week would fit perfectly with this. So, Ed, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for the way that you have served and continue to serve the many churches in the eastern region. And thank you for serving us this morning. We're very glad you're here.
2: And thank you, brother. Well, we moved to Canton about six and a half years ago and I happened to be at the gym and there are a few folks, uh, they are conversing and the topic went to pickleball. And one of the people, I didn't know either of these two folks at the time and and they said, well, First Friends is the place if you play pickleball, that's the place to go play. Now, raise your hand if you are a pickleball player. Come on, don't be shy. Oh, I thought it'd be so many more hands. I think they're resting and they're gonna to come to the later service. I think that's the issue there. You're the ones who are more there. Yeah, pickleball has become so popular, almost more popular than uh, Taylor Swift, I think, is what's happening here. And so, what I loved about it, you know, you read the bulletin, it says, "Come, it's open play. Well, for me, I've not actually converted over to pickleball. I am still a racquetball purist. And so I have to confess that when I moved here to Ken, I was very reluctant, I dragged my feet to actually go to the gym because you don't just show up for open play at racquetball, you know exactly who your players are gonna be. And I didn't know who that was. I lost my cadre of players from the Pittsburgh area. Don't hold that against me that I'm from the Pittsburgh area. I was only in exile for 15 years there. I'm a Buckeye, okay? So it's great to be back, but anyway, I delayed, it was awkward, but I finally went and I was hitting the ball by myself, and uh, all of a sudden this guy came up, his name was Ted, and he knows just about everybody in that gym, and he goes, are you new? And I said, yes, I just moved to the area, and he said, well, are you going to be playing someone? And I said, well, actually, no, I, I don't have a group to play, and he said, well, then join us. And I've been part of that group ever since. And I have to tell you that our group sounds like the opening of a bad joke where there once were three Catholics, a Jehovah Witness, a Quaker, two guys who don't go to church, and one charismatic who cusses when she messes up. (laughs) That is our group. But I have to tell you that being nice... And being a gentleman, you don't know me that well, but I am polite, I'm cordial, I don't cuss when I mess up, but being nice has never caused any of them to say, oh, by the way, are you a Christian? It just never happened. My silent witness has never led them to Christ. Now, the gospel is the greatest news ever, amen? Can I get an amen? Many of you have experienced that good news. If you are still exploring that, and maybe today you have more questions than answers, I'm glad that you're here because the good news is that Jesus brings freedom, and that's what we wanna share. But the truth is that even though we have been entrusted with the greatest news ever, many believers are reluctant to share their faith. Now God is not, in Ephesians it says that God gave some to be evangelists, but the reality is that most are not evangelists, Um, It's not our natural gifting. I know I'm not, so this message could be kind of subtitled The Journey of a Non-Evangelist. And I just wanna share that. But this series has been a challenge to each of us to be witnesses who witness. A witness who shares their experience. They share what God has done in their lives. So you may be hesitant to share your faith, um, but being a nice person is not gonna be enough. It's not going to cut the mustard there. So the good news is, as we've seen over the last three weeks, that God didn't say, just do it. He promises his presence and his power. And so we're excited for that, that God is the one who enables us and emboldens us to do that. So let's pray together. Father, we come before us. Will you give us ears to hear, hearts to obey. Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, we pray. Well, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 18 if you need a, a Bible. I think the ushers going to be coming down and doing, doing that as well and making those available for you. But we're going to be looking at Luke 18 as we consider together responsibility we have as witnesses, not of just being nice people. Luke gives us, I believe, three steps to take. And we're gonna be covering those three steps, but one is to anticipate God's activity, two, to expect opposition, and three, to find freedom in Jesus. And with each of those three steps, I have three prayers for you to pray. And if you got a bulletin, you have a little bookmark that will help you remember those three prayers even after this service is long ended. So let's start here, number one, anticipate God's activity. Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd was going by, he asked, what's happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, we know from the Gospels that Jesus was always on the move. He met people where they were. He, uh, he, he didn't hang out in the synagogue, but he was, uh, he was just involved there. Now, in contrast, too often, the church... We're clustered together in a holy huddle. We gather for worship, gather for Sunday school, for prayer meetings, for men's breakfast, for marriage retreats, for women's teas, for committee meetings, for special meetings, for spring clean, those are all good things. But eventually we find ourselves only rubbing shoulders with other believers and that becomes a challenge. But here's the greater challenge unbelievers are also in a huddle with other unbelievers and so there's no cross-pollination happening we have believers with believers unbelievers with unbelievers Jesus brought those two circles together and that's what we are called to do as witnesses who witness now let me be clear there is value in the huddle In football, the offense gets together, they regroup, they catch their breath, they plan the next play. But they don't stay in the huddle. They get back into the game. Normally, a huddle's beneficial. It was not so beneficial for the Browns, I have to admit. So we gotta watch other guys get into the huddle. But they get back into the game. Now, at my last church, there was a sign above the exit door, and as as we would leave the church, it said, you are now entering the mission field. It was a great reminder we are to merge our circles together. Well, Let's read on, verse 38. It says, he called out, son of David, have mercy on me. This man had heard there was hope in Jesus. We don't know how he knew that. Earlier in chapter Luke, in Luke Uh, Jesus sent out a number of folks two by two the disciples they were spread the word maybe there was two of those disciples had met this blind man said hey guess what there's a man named Jesus that's gonna be coming he can help solve your issues here so somehow we don't know how it happened but he was primed there was hope in his life and I let me ask you does hope describe your life does hope describe our church Do people say, hey, I know I can find hope at First Friends? Because we can anticipate God's activity working. We can be confident that he's going before us. Now, church, this man was blind. But the reality is we all have blind spots. And I'm not just talking about when we're changing lanes while we're driving, but we have blind spots in all of life. We're often blind to God's activity now, we see this blind man, and he's off to the margins. He was disregarded. For most people, he, they seemed like he was, maybe he was a bother, so they wrote him off. But I have to confess that too often, I have written people off. Maybe it's because of their appearance, or their attitude, or their language, or their body art. I prejudged. Are they spiritually interested? No, I don't think so because it's something that I determined looking on the outside. And I conclude they're not interested. Or maybe we're watching television and we see these images of, of extremists on, on TV and conclude, boy, we see they're Muslims and we think, boy, they're never gonna come to Christ. Yet we know of missionaries who report how, how Muslims are having these visions and these dreams of, of Jesus and they're responding to him. We have good friends in the Pittsburgh area who who, who minister to Muslims. And literally, they had a person come and said, I had this vision of this person who said to me, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, do you know who that was? He said, I have no idea. Have you ever read a Bible? No. Well, Let me tell you about Jesus. And that family came to Christ. Now that was a Muslim in Egypt, but but what about our young people in America? What about the the demographic under age 25? The bad news is 45% rarely or never go to church. The good news is that 55% say they are curious to know more about Jesus. So God is putting the spiritual interest in them so we can anticipate God's activity. God's drawing people to them, but we have to go out to them because they're not coming in to where we are. And so let me ask, how are you doing on merging circles in your life? I know you have great friends as believers. How about unbelievers? Or what are the blind spots for you as a witness? Is there something that someone that you've written off and say, well, they're never gonna respond to the gospel? What unholy huddle do I need to penetrate? Do I need to figure out how do I get in there? So let me give you the first prayer as we think about God's activity. it's on that bookmark if you have that there, but pray for open doors. Pray for open doors. Paul told the Colossians, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mysteries of Christ. He's saying, give me spiritual eyes. Let me see where God's already working. Let me do that. And so the first step is that we anticipate God's activity, but then the second step is expect opposition. Expect opposition. Verse 39 goes on. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. You know, when the man tried to talk to Jesus, the crowd said, shh, shh, be quiet. The world wants to silence God's word. Now A year and a half ago, I went to my high school class reunion. I have to admit, it was the first one I ever went to. It was number 45 plus one. I think there was something called COVID that said we gotta wait an extra year. So we went to 45 and, and so I signed up to go and they were gonna have some dinner and whatnot. And I said, hey, by the way, can I organize a bike ride? And they said, that's a wonderful idea. So they posted on Facebook. Said, Ed Walsh is gonna organize a bike ride. If you guys wanna ride? uh, Here's where you sign up. Here's his email there. They just said, that's fantastic. He said, oh, by the way, I also arranged that I would be preaching at the Friends Church where I grew up. And could you please post that? And I go, oh, no, we can't do that. We don't discuss religion on our Facebook page. Expect opposition. We hear of Muslims who are coming to Christ, but we also know that many of them are disowned from their families. They're cut off from their group and their communities. Or perhaps you encounter resistance where you work or among family members. Expect opposition. Folks, why is that church? Evangelism is spiritual warfare. Evangelism is spiritual warfare. That's why we need to fast and pray for God to have breakthroughs. Now opposition comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Sometimes the crowd says, shh, be quiet. That's opposition from the world. But there's also opposition from the devil. Ephesians tells us that there are spiritual forces that are engaged in combat. Satan is blinding people from the truth, the word says. Every gospel conversation is a threat to Satan's dominion. Evangelism is spiritual warfare. We have to take it seriously. So expect opposition from Satan, expect opposition from the world. But probably the biggest foe we have is expect opposition from the flesh, from ourselves. Research reveals that believers are reluctant witnesses all across the board in the United States. What does that mean? It means that one, we're having fewer spiritual conversations Two, we're uncomfortable with spiritual conversations. And three, we mention Jesus in the Bible less and less. We reflect society that says, don't discuss religion. Maybe we don't wanna offend people. Maybe we're afraid that we'll appear to be rude. So we go radio silent. Some we need to be quiet. It doesn't matter if the opposition comes from the world, from Satan or from our flesh, it doesn't matter. The goal is the same, that God's word is silenced, that our message is muzzled. So expect opposition. Verse 39 goes on. It says, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. I love his boldness. I love his courage. When the crowd said to shut up, he spoke up louder. His determination was uninterred. He didn't care if he annoyed people. He persisted. And in the book, Reluctant Witness that I've been referring to, research reveals that Christians who speak up in their witness not only anticipate God's activity, they push through the awkward. They push through those awkward moments. I'm not saying be obnoxious, but with the Spirit's help, push through. Say, God, help me just enter through there. And so that leads us to our second prayer that's on this bookmark here. Pray for an open mouth. In open mouth, Paul said in Ephesians, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Prayed for boldness. He prayed that his message would be fearless. And I'm thinking, if Paul had to pray for boldness, how much more do I? Amen, church? So anticipate God's activity, expect opposition, but then finally... Find freedom in Jesus. Find freedom in Jesus. In verse 40, best part of the story, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. Because God delights in spiritual hunger. God desires that. And so then he goes on in verse 41. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And folks, here's a message here. Jesus doesn't ask questions for information. He already knows the answer. He does that for our benefit when he asks those questions. And of course, that man said, Lord, I wanna see. Because he knew that physical sight's a blessing, but spiritual sight is essential. And how do we know that he he wanted spiritual sight? Because Luke gives us an indication of his faith. He said, when the crowd said, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by, that's not how he addressed him. He said, Son of David. Son of David. Son of David was a messianic title, and it's the first time that that title is used in the Gospel of Luke. So this blind man was looking to Jesus as his Savior, as his Messiah. Now, this blind man, he called out for help. He recognized his needs. And folks, we just need to be reminded that Jesus cannot help the self-sufficient. He only helps those who recognize their needs. So it goes on, verse 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And it means received his sight and followed Jesus. Freedom comes when we trust Jesus. Now his plea in verse 38 and 39 is the basis for what's called the Jesus prayer. And the Jesus prayer is Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's been around for centuries. It's the foundation for salvation. And it's asking that question, have you made that your plea? Because we're not saved by being a good person. We're not saved from being religious. We're not pr- saved because we pray. No, we, we are saved when we recognize our need and we ask for God's help. Salvation comes from confessing that we are sinners in need of his mercy. And so if you've not made that your prayer, I encourage you even now to say, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you need to help solidify that, I know after this service, there's a, it's available for folks to pray, encourage you to come and to take advantage of that. Well, the verse goes on, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they praised God also. Evangelism starts with finding freedom in Jesus. We have to experience the good news to be good news and to share good news. And when we experience the freedom of Christ's forgiveness, his fulfillment, of his peace, of him giving us purpose, of him experiencing his generosity, people are drawn in. Because God's work is contagious because Jesus frees us to tell others. So let that freedom from Christ be a freedom for you to share with others. And so here's the third prayer. The third prayer is pray for open hearts. Pray for open hearts. On Paul's missionary journey, uh, Luke said that the Lord, to this lady named Lydia, it said the Lord open Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message. We cannot convert people. Only God can. God has to do his work, but he also expects us to do our part there. And we know that Satan has blinded people to the truth. And so we're asking God, would you do some spiritual heart surgery in this person's life? because they need some help. Well, let me give you a quick review and further suggestions on what are some action steps. I gave you five prayers to pray, but let me, let me just share a few other uh, ideas here. Number one, we've already talked about prayer, but no, one, pray for the lost. Pray for those who need Jesus. I downloaded a prayer app a few year, uh, about a year and a half ago, and it was, I really liked it. it, really helped me focus on my prayer life. But after a few months, I was challenged, how many non-Christians are you praying for? And all of a sudden, I looked at my prayer wrap and I said, oh, my goodness, I don't have a single one on here. And so now, Thursdays is the time when Brenda and I pray for those in our lives that we need to know to come. So we pray for Steve and Bob and Diana and Mark and others that God has put into our lives. And for you, just encourage you, on the back of this bookmark, it says, I'm praying for, and it's got three, three lines there. Hopefully it's more than that, but would you start with that? And say, who am I praying for? And let that be a reminder and stick that bookmark in your, in your, in your Bible there. Engage the enemy through prayer and through fasting. And then number two, love the lost, love them. You know, I was discussing this topic of witnessing and really wrestling through in my own life how my journey had been going. And I was sharing this with my brother-in-law. And I have to tell you, my brother-in-law, I just admire so much, uh, so much his walk with Christ. He loves Jesus wholeheartedly, has served in multiple ways in, in ministries over the years, as a deacon, as a youth leader, as leads mission trips or whatever. But he admitted to me that in the early years of his journey, he just said, I felt guilty because I didn't witness. Sometimes I even wondered, am I really a Christian? Because I never want to share the faith. He said, but then he looked and he said, you know what? I realized I didn't truly love people. I didn't love them. I was busy being a good husband, a good father, a little league coach, making sure I was a good deacon, a good church member. But now he makes a point to love people. And his witness just is an overflow. So he makes sure that he has coffee at the same place. And, and wait staff will come up and start sharing their problems because he just engages with them and asks about how their life is doing and what are the struggles, and, and they respond. His witness is an overflow. So love people. And then practice hospitality. Practice hospitality, which, you know, that's, it's just not exercised that much right now. I realized as I was thinking about my racquetball folks that I needed a new strategy. And so we started inviting the different ones over for dinner. And I have to admit that when when I first admitted, I had to pray when I was gonna invite, it's like I had to pray, God would you give me the courage to do this? Because it was very awkward. Because the two of us just knew each other in one context. I didn't know his wife, he didn't know my wife, neither wives knew any of us. It was like a blind date. But they said, sure, we'll come on over. And we ate and we laughed, played games, shared stories. And the first couple that we had all of a sudden just blew us away because they looked at us halfway through and they said, you know what, in the last 25 years, other than our best friends, we've never been in someone else's home. Period. It was hard for me to comprehend that. Did we share, share the four spiritual laws? No. But we laid a foundation of trust. We loved them and we build more and more of a foundation. So I encourage you, maybe there's times where you can practice hospitality. Maybe it's at your home, maybe it's meeting at a restaurant or whatever it is. Right now, can't be doing picnics and other stuff, but in the, in the good weather months, can definitely do that. Practice hospitality, and then number four, have fun. Have fun, include others in what you already enjoy. Brenda and I love to ride bicycles. So organizing a bike ride for our class reunion was not a, it was no sweat. We didn't care about that. We simply invited others to join. He's like, you know what? We're going to go biking. If no one else shows up, it doesn't matter. We're going to go have fun anyway. But we had about four or five others to join us. let's open up some conversations, follow-up conversations with uh, spe- specifically one person who I had not seen in 45 plus one years. I don't know what you enjoy doing. Maybe it's pickleball. I didn't see many hands at this service, but I'm hoping the next one. Maybe it's book club. Maybe it's hunting or fishing, or I don't know what you all enjoy. But just include others. Others that don't know Jesus yet. Or maybe it's coaching one of the sports teams here at First Friends. What a tremendous opportunity you have. If you enjoy sports, or even if you don't, saying, hey, I'll serve as a coach or a chaplain or whatever else. Have fun with others because witnessing does not mean drudgery. It means fun. And then finally, share your story. Share your story. As opportunities arise, share your story. Maybe it's in person. Maybe it's by text. Maybe it's by social media. One of my friends was going to have some surgery and that morning I didn't say, hey, I hope things go well. No, I texted him a prayer he kind of said, well, uh, thanks. <laughs> but we were able to do that. Matter of fact, then I had a, an opportunity and I discovered that another one of my racquetball buddies, it was just two of us, because when there's a whole big group, we don't, I'm uh, not saying, hey, do you know Jesus? But saying, how do we have capitalized on one-on-one conversations? And one of them discovered that his wife was going through cancer right now. And I said, well, my wife, my wife went through that. We understand We're going to pray for you. And I said, hey, by the way, do you you mind if I pray for you? He said, oh, absolutely. Please pray. So prayed for him. The Lord led on our heart when we were in Pennsylvania to to have a Bible study. So in December, I I gave out these uh, Christmas devotionals. And everybody said, hey, thank you. And they all took it. And my goal was to then have a Bible study in the following, starting in January. But when I gave it to one neighbor, she turned and she goes, I'm so glad that you gave me this. I hope it'll help me understand because I find the Bible so confusing. That was the open door. And I said, well, that's funny because my wife and I are thinking we're gonna gonna do a a Bible study for our neighborhood. Would you like to join join us? And she said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And so we ended up having a six-week Bible study in the Gospel of Mark. We had them come over, and it was just Steve and Sue. That was it. It was the four of us. And after six weeks, I was ready to give them an offer. They said, no, we enjoyed doing this. Let's keep doing it. And so for over a year, we went through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse because I was just obedient and saying, I'll take the next step, Lord. I wish I could say they came to Christ. They didn't we sowed the seeds, we shared our story. So as opportunities arise, point to Jesus. And yes, sometimes those conversations can be awkward, but push through the awkward. It's awkward for me to invite friends over for dinner. It was awkward for that blind man to speak up when the crowd said, shut up. May feel awkward to interject spiritual truth with a coworker who'd rather just whine and complain about how terrible life is. But God goes before us. Trust him that he's already active and stirring in their hearts. Expect it, look for it, and then lean into God's power and his presence because Jesus frees us to tell others. Find that freedom in him and be a witness who witnesses. And so right now, would you just take the next 60 to 90 seconds to pray for one or two people that God has brought to your mind, even as we talk. Maybe you already wrote their names down. Maybe they're in your prayer app. But would you take a moment right now to pray specifically for folks that God has brought into your life who need to find freedom in Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, hundreds of names have just been offered to your altar, would you open their hearts? And then Lord, for each of us here, would you provide open doors? And sometimes we have to push the door a little bit, but would you provide that and then to open our mouths? Lord, that whenever we speak, words may be given us so that we may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you.
1: Let me just say thanks to Ted Walsh.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. There, you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m., And we'd love to see you there. Have a great week.